Hello, my name is Leaf, and you're listening to Health Righteous. If you've seen the headlines recently, you might have heard about some poisonous metals that were inadvertently feeding to our children. Well, they're not the only ones getting heavy metals in their diets, so in this episode, we'll talk about where these heavy metals are coming from, how they're affecting us, and what we can do to avoid them, in an episode that I'm calling Heavy Metal Babies. First up, baby food. Food for babies. This recent stir around toxins in baby food hit the mainstream when an organization called Healthy Babies Bright Futures released a report last month. They tested 168 baby foods sourced from 14 different metropolitan areas across the United States and ended up with some unsettling results. 95% of the baby foods tested contained at least one heavy metal, and 94% of them contained lead. Now, we've all heard of lead before. We've heard of lead paint. We might have heard about lead being used in children's toys or jewelry a long time ago. And we all see unleaded at the gas station as a friendly indication that the gas we're putting in our car isn't made from it. And luckily, we've got the Clean Water Act to keep those levels in check when it comes to our drinking water. But over the last century, we've seen heavy metals used in our fertilizer and our pesticides, so it's still in our soil. But what harm does lead really do? Lead is a neurotoxin, meaning it harms the developing brain. In fact, all of the heavy metals that were found in baby food that we're going to talk about in this episode are neurotoxic. But lead is a cumulative toxicant that affects several parts of the body. It also causes cancer. The World Health Organization warns that young children are particularly vulnerable to lead poisoning because they absorb four to five times as much lead as adults when they ingest it. They're also curious little monsters, and their hand-to-mouth behavior make it more likely to swallow lead from other sources. Undernourished children are even more susceptible to lead because their bodies absorb more lead if other nutrients are lacking. And exposure can start as early as the womb, when the lead naturally releases in the bloodstream of whomever is carrying the baby. Lead impacts the way the brain functions. And when that brain is developing, it can take the form of drops in IQ, lower academic achievement, and attention deficits and behavior problems, even in very low exposure levels. And there's no safe level of exposure to lead. Any amount is harmful. So why is it in 94% of baby food? Well, when it comes to baby food, there frankly isn't a lot of protection in place to keep these levels in check. From the baby food tested in the Healthy Baby's Bright Futures report, only 20 out of the 168 foods they tested had any guidance around the amount of heavy metals they could contain. Luckily, publishing about these findings has stirred some things up, and we're now seeing politicians like Senator Chuck Schumer urging the FDA to take more action to regulate the baby food industry. But this isn't the first time the FDA was approached about heavy metals in food for babies. They actually started making some headway on one in particular 
a few years back. In 2016, the Food and Drug Administration released a risk assessment report looking at inorganic arsenic in rice cereals for infants. They drew up some data and some proposed limitations and opened up the topic to public comments. Arsenic is another neurotoxic heavy metal. But where lead effects are limited to just a couple organ systems, the brain, the blood, the kidney, the arsenic effects just sweep across the body and impact everything that's going on, every organ system. That's what Joseph Graziano had to say about it. He's a professor at Columbia University who was notorious for leading the research on looking into the arsenic in the drinking water in Maine. He says arsenic makes lead look like a vitamin by comparison. About 20 years ago, EPA scientists found out that arsenic is about 60 times more likely to cause cancer, if consumed at its legal limit in water, than any other regulated toxin. And it's still being used as an herbicide. Unfortunately, it also naturally occurs in the more dangerous of its forms, in rice, as inorganic arsenic. Arsenic is pulled up from the soil, and it concentrates in the bran, or outer layer, and germ, inner layer. Because white rice is made by polishing off the bran and removing the germ, it actually tends to have lower amounts of arsenic in it. But when those parts are removed, you end up losing the fiber and a bunch of the vitamins and minerals as well. So the FDA has already created this risk assessment report, but they open up the topic to hear what the public has to say about inorganic arsenic in rice cereals for infants. And, ding! One of those comments comes from USA Rice, saying, quote, The presence of arsenic in rice is not at issue. What is at issue is what, if anything, needs to and can be done about it. End quote. They're saying, Yeah, no duh, there's arsenic in rice. What do you want us to do about it? They also flex that they're a $34 billion U.S. industry dedicated to supplying the world with a sustainably farmed, healthy, GMO-free grain. A few other comments come in. One comes from the dubiously named Arsenic Science Task Force. Keeping with our theme here in our episodes, this task force is literally composed of the two chemical companies that are still creating that arsenic-based herbicide I mentioned earlier. So the Arsenic Science Task Force submit their comment saying that the FDA's assessment demonstrates only a possible risk that is negligible at best. They caution that the risks are much larger of children developing celiac disease due to a shift away from gluten-free alternatives. They say that the risk assessment, even as a draft, isn't conclusive. So comments close for the FDA, and then... Nothing. Crickets. They have the data in their hands of what they want to regulate the amount of arsenic in rice products for infants to be. 100 parts per billion. That's 10 times what they allow in water and proposed allowing in fruit juice. In their testing, they found that about half of infant rice cereals sampled around that time were already meeting that guideline. And it jumped to about three quarters when they looked at 110 parts per billion and below. 
So why nothing? Why don't they take their research that they have showing how dangerous it is and do something to protect public health and the brains of our developing babies? Because anytime movement is made on the issue, it gets smacked down for not being thorough enough or not including enough data, so it gets put into the hands of another department to research it, keeping legislation at a standstill so that companies can continue to profit while the public gets exposed. Urgh. I was tinkering around the Environmental Working Group's website, and you can do a quick peek at how much arsenic and other contaminants are in your drinking water. Take a look at what years they're pulling their data from, because like their Clean 15 produce list, it might not be up to date. But after looking at mine, I personally just bought a water filtration system that I'm excited to try out. So going back to the Healthy Babies report, arsenic was found in about three quarters of the baby food samples. And when it came to rice cereals, only half of the time did it fall under the FDA proposed limit. And rice is an extremely popular food item for infants, as snacks, cereals, and teething biscuits. Cutting out rice drops heavy metals down by about 90% on average. Additionally, giving your baby water instead of juice, and using other fruits and veggies than carrots and sweet potatoes, drops heavy metals down about 70%. The other two heavy metals that they looked at were cadmium and mercury. Cadmium is a carcinogen that also appeared in about three quarters of the samples. Harvard scientists report a tripling of risk for learning disabilities and special education among children with higher cadmium exposures at levels previously thought to be safe. It's also linked to kidney, bone, and heart damage. Cadmium can end up in the soil from phosphate fertilizers or from manufacturing. You might have heard of nickel-cadmium batteries. That's the same cadmium. Mercury was in about a third of the samples and is also linked to low IQs and intellectual disabilities. Mercury exposure is also common in the womb from the parent consuming seafood. But wait, there's more. They weren't done yet. They sent out 25 samples of the food tested to be tested for one more thing. Perchlorate. Perchlorate is a rocket fuel component, but was more recently approved as an anti-static in plastic food packaging and as a disinfectant for food processing equipment. Perchlorate disrupts thyroid functions crucial to developing brains and has been linked to IQ loss. And it was found in 19 of the 25 food samples sent out. What the heck, guys? So, moral of the story here is, trust no one. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not that, but there is definitely something going on with the food industry, and there are some very clear ways to avoid these dangers. Like, maybe check out brands like Little Spoon, who do consistent quality checks of every batch of their product to make sure that they're minimizing heavy metals. I'll get into some of the other ways to reduce your interaction with heavy metals in just a little bit. But first, let's take some nice, slow breaths. There's a lot of scary stuff going on out there, people. It can be overwhelming. You can feel hopeless. But it's important to breathe. Let's take a nice deep breath in. 
and let it out. Let's do that again. Deep breath in. And let it out. There we go. Our blood pressure is going down a little bit. We're not as stressed out. You can release the tension in your neck, in your shoulders. All right. I hope you're feeling nice and relaxed now. Because we're about to get right back into it. Ah! (laughs) Thank you for breathing with me. All right. So, heavy metals are in baby food, rice products, and drinking water. But I was also surprised to find out that you can find heavy metals in another unlikely source. A story broke over a year ago on Consumer Reports that there were detectable levels of heavy metals in about three quarters of the top protein powders on Amazon and Nielsen. The Consumer Reports article was in response to the data posted by the Clean Label Project around that same time. The Clean Label Project is a 501c3 nonprofit committed to empowering consumers with the truth about product content. They tested 134 different protein powders, and here are some of the takeaways from their findings. 75% of plant-based protein samples tested positive for lead. The organic protein powders that they tested had on average over twice the heavy metals than non-organic. 55% of protein powder had high levels of BPA, and organic samples had 40% less BPA. So we're getting some mixed results on organic versus non-organic in the protein powder realm. There's pros and cons to both. They recommended egg and whey over plant-based because when the plants pass through these animals, it reduces heavy metals from the final product. They also said that on average, about half of the protein powders tested exceed government regulation in quantities of toxins. I respect what the Clean Label Project is going for here. But because of the way they display their data, it's tough to understand the specifics of it. For instance, all of their data is displayed as raw, blind data, and it doesn't show any connection to the protein powders listed, which forces viewers to rely on their rating system, which isn't transparent either. The protein powder that tops their list as being the absolute worst is Vega Sport which is a total bummer because Vega is such a distinguished name within the plant-based community. I reached out to Vega to get their take on it, giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's been over a year since these results were published, so maybe they were initially unaware of it and have made some changes to their formula to make their products safer to consumers. This was their response. We haven't changed the ingredients or formulation. At Vega, the trust and safety of our consumers is our top priority. Plants absorb naturally occurring minerals from the soil, which can be reflected in the final product. We have robust quality assurance programs in place that methodically test our products for safety and quality and ensure our products are compliant with our own rigorous internal standards, as well as government regulations. I don't doubt their intentions, but I looked up their records And in the past two years, they've received at least three notices of violations of California Health and Safety Code's Prop 65, 
which protects consumers from toxic substances that cause cancer and birth defects. At the end of their email, they sent over a link to an article posted by NSF, a competing scientific lab from Clean Label Project. NSF was originally founded as the National Sanitation Foundation, but according to the organization, their letters don't represent any specific words today. They claim to be the most trusted name in food safety and own Quality Assurance International, QAI, which you might recognize from their certification of organic foods. In the article that Vega sent over, NSF states that Clean Label Project's protein powder report overlooks basic scientific principles, like peer review and accreditation, and this casts doubt on their methodology. There's another company that does some independent lab testing that published their data in a more user-friendly way called Labdoor. Labdoor gave Vega Sport an 80.8% score, saying that the heavy metal content is below one part per million. They fault Vega for having inaccurate quantity listings with higher fat content and lower sugar content, and having cholesterol that they didn't put on the label, which is slightly concerning because cholesterol comes from animal sources, not plant sources. Their results come in a bit of contrast to Clean Label Project's data, but Clean Label Project also tests for over 130 toxins, so it's possible that they're both right. Also, Labdoor calls themselves an independent, for-profit company. I'm not 100% sold on Labdoor's data if they're finding cholesterol in the ingredients of a vegan protein powder. I'm not trying to vilify Vega here. The reason I'm using them as an example is because A. They were listed as the dirtiest on the Clean Label Project's list, and B. I was actually slamming Vega Sport Protein a few times a day when I was working out heavily, and my body started to show some worrying signs. It was mainly my skin. I experienced acne like I'd never had before, and I'm not talking a couple of zits. I'm talking every inch of my face was sore and inflamed and hyperpigmented. I tried everything I could think of before I realized it was probably from my protein powder. It makes sense, because your skin is your largest waste organ in your body. So mine was just doing its best to rid me of toxins. Another thing about toxins like cadmium is that it affects your kidneys, which is the same organ that works overtime when you're consuming excess protein. How much is excess? Well, Harvard estimates around 50 to 60 grams of protein is what you need. There's actually a handy calculator on the USDA's website that shows what your custom needs are. If you want to take charge of your health, you can visit the Clean Label Project, visit Labdoor, and find out what they say about your protein powders, supplements, sunscreens, and more, and make the most informed decision you can with that data. Unfortunately, this isn't new information either. I told you about how the FDA has been sitting on their arsenic guidelines for years, but Consumer Reports also posted about heavy metals and protein powders about 10 years ago. We're just not at a place anymore where we can rely on these institutions to put safeguards in place to protect us. We have to look out for ourselves and each other. Alright, I promised you I would tell you about some ways you can reduce your heavy metal exposure, and I intend to do just that. Surprise to no one, I'm going to tell you to buy organic. Without the synthetic fertilizers and dangerous herbicides and pesticides, 
you're simply going to end up with fewer heavy metals in the soil, and thus fewer heavy metals in your food. Also, maybe skip the protein powder since you're probably getting enough protein anyways. But I found a plant-based one that I like that doesn't upset my skin, so feel free to DM me about it and I'll give you more information. Next, let's bring it back to rice. Consumer Reports suggested reducing servings to less than a cup of cooked rice for kids and about one and a half cups of cooked rice for adults per week. Or maybe consider using a different type of grain, like quinoa, which has considerably less heavy metals in it. I mentioned that white rice has less arsenic in it than brown rice, at the cost of nutritional value. But here's how to go about preparing your rice when you're ready to consume it. First, let the rice soak overnight. Then in the morning, pour out the water and rinse the rice. Fill a pot with about six parts water to one part rice, like you're making pasta. Boil the rice until it's ready, pour out the excess water and rinse it again. And voila, you've got rice with less arsenic in it. Also look for basmati rice grown in California, India, and Pakistan. This rice had the least amount of arsenic in it. Avoid rice grown anywhere else in the United States. Consumer Reports says that those are no good. I also mentioned fish earlier in relation to heavy metals. Big fish like tuna and mackerel have more mercury than tilapia and trout because heavy metals accumulate up the food chain. Wild-caught is safer than farmed. Next, although your body is great at naturally detoxifying itself, there's some ways you can give it a boost. One of those ways is by using a sauna. Infrared saunas are especially helpful because you can stay in them for longer since they don't get as hot. Working out is another great way to detox. And when you combine the sauna after a great workout, it magnifies the detoxifying benefits. Activated charcoal is good at pulling toxins out as well but it can grab vitamins and minerals, so it's best not to take it around the same time as you take other supplements. I also did a little bit of reading about some supplements like glutathione and chlorella that can help your body dispose of those heavy metals. But that is the scoop this episode. If you learned something today and you want to share it with someone, pass this podcast along. Pass it along to your friends, your family, your dog walker, your sponsor, your tribal council leader, your next-door neighbor who's always giving you judgmental eyes, or anyone who's made your life interesting that you want to have the best shot at living a long, healthy life. Or maybe you know a parent who should probably give their little one a little less rice cereal to give them the best shot at getting into an Ivy League school. Either way, your support, you, matter to me. We have a trilogy now. Let me know how you think I'm doing. Rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Tell me, Hey Leaf, you successfully opened my eyes about how to be healthier. Follow Health Righteous on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Visit our website. Type Health Righteous into your browser, all one word, and drop a dot before the US. Join the movement. I've got some petitions on my website that you can sign to make the world a little safer. I'd love to keep making these episodes, so consider becoming a patron. 
I'm currently accepting patrons on Patreon and sponsorship of many kinds. So visit patreon.com slash healthrighteous or shoot me a DM. Thank you for listening. It's a demonstration of self-love and self-kindness. Now get out of here and tell the world how great this podcast is. I'll be back in our next episode with something I've been waiting months to share with you. Five everyday foods that are trying to kill you. Until next time. Health Righteous!